Hello and welcome to Oats for Breakfast. Oats for Breakfast is affiliated with the Socialist Project. Which is an eco-socialist organization based in Toronto. My name is Lena. I'm Brent. And I'm Olina. In this episode, we're going to be engaging in some cultural critique. We're going to be chatting about the recent HBO series Chernobyl. As many of our listeners will know, the show is based on actual events that happened in the northern Ukrainian town of Chernobyl in 1986 when a nuclear reactor had exploded. We should let you know, of course, that there are definitely going to be some spoilers in this podcast episode. So hopefully you've either watched the series by now or you are not planning on watching it. Or maybe some of our listeners don't mind spoilers. That's possible too. Let's just sort of set the scene, I think, for um, everyone in terms of what Chernobyl is actually about. So what actually happened at Chernobyl? While there are many different accounts, uh, the most common account in which uh, is also depicted, I think, on the show, especially in the last episode, the workers were testing an emergency uh, shutoff system for the reactor. Um, When they were doing so, the power initially bottomed out almost completely. When that happened, they tried to fix the problem by inserting um, control rods that are meant to cool the reactor. And it created, um, due to a defect in the control rods, this massive power surge. Uh, Over the course of this power surge, the emergency shutdown procedure failed. And as depicted in the show, there was a bit of a uh, power struggle among the engineers. Some of the junior engineers wanted to to stop the test that was going on, uh, but were told not to by a supervising engineer, Dyatlov, who is the main baddie in the show. Uh, and is played by Paul Ritter, who I think does a great job. The system eventually overloaded, causing a massive explosion that lifted the thousand-ton lid on top of the reactor, which is, in the show, portrayed quite dramatically with all of the, I don't know what they are, but like the cube-led reactor tops going up. Like, Do you guys remember that part where it's blowing up and then... Oh, those were the control rods. Were those the control rods? Mm-hmm. Okay. We were just seeing it from above. Yeah. I like that part. Well, in terms, of, like, in terms of it looking cool. You know, the tagline of the show is, what is the cost of lies? So I think in this podcast, we're going to talk about the larger implications of the show, the larger political implications, what it represents as a sort of cultural artifact. And yeah, there's a number of, of inaccuracies also that we will cover. For me, one of the interesting things, I was reading about Craig Mazin, the director, and some of the tweets, and people had been asking him to clarify some issues in the show, and uh, he said that the lesson of the show is not really about the nuclear disaster, right? It's about lying, arrogance, and the suppression of criticism. So yeah, the slogan of the show is, what is the cost of lies? And I wonder what was behind him picking uh, this particular case. What made this case study different from any other case of lies or state, you know? Yeah. State corruption. Yeah, state corruption. Yeah, and we should give some context of like, what are the lies in the show in terms of what is supposedly being covered up here? Right. Um, So the show is about basically the Russian states, the USSR, uh, attempt to cover up this disaster at Chernobyl. 
uh, in the months following the disaster. The main protagonist is uh, Valery Legasov, mm-hmm. uh, who's sort of this cavalier, truth-seeking scientist that sort of, you know, plays along with the state for a while, with the USSR officials for a while, but eventually sort of wants to expose the the truth of the situation. And in particular, expose the USSR's responsibility for the disaster in, in terms of the defects of the control rods, in terms of the failure of the uh, emergency shutoff system, right? Yeah, and the immediate opposite of him is Dyatlov. Who's the bad who guy. Who's the bad yeah. guy. And he sort of represents everything bad, I think, about the Soviet Union in a way in this in this series. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's sort of arrogant. He's also ignorant, right? There's there's those scenes at the beginning of the uh, junior engineers trying to figure out how to deal with the problem, and him sort of not just ignoring the problem, but pushing through and forcing them to do things. Portrayed as this kind of guy who's. Uh, you know, he's more interested in checking the boxes, right? And getting the report to his superiors and getting through that than actually trying to figure out what's wrong. And of course, what's interesting is that at the end, um, in, in the very last episode, we find out that he's up for promotion and that right, all right. of this is actually his own personal gain, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, in a way, the whole, if that didn't happen, I feel like the Maybe the series would have been it would have been stronger, but b- b- the whole thing is now reduced to his promotion. Also, yeah. Well, it's another way in which the show is trying to not in trying to implicate like make this a broader story, right? Not just about the players involved, but the systems that they're caught up with and the political systems that they're caught up caught up in, um, and how these sort of produce these horrible outcomes. And these systematic untruths, right? The mm-hmm. show is is very much trying to demonstrate how uh, the USSR is predominantly concerned with looking good towards the international community, and is willing to to go to all lengths in order to do so. Right. I mean, Dyatlov is in one of my favorite scenes when uh, the um, Belarus uh, Alma Holyuk Ulana Holyuk. <laughs> She's a Belarusian <laughs> yeah. scientist, right? And she she sort of enters the show in a funny way, right? The um, she's able to test the radiation levels in Belarus. In Belarus, but she's a fictional character, and that's important because she's central to telling the truth. I mean, I think in the end, mm-hmm. when they gave the sort of documentary style end credits, and what are these people now, and what's going on now, and all of this. When Homyuk came up, mm-hmm. it was about, yeah, she was she represented truth and those who were interested in truth and above and all people. else, right? Yeah. And um, But I was going to say earlier that, you know, her and Dyatlov, their exchange in the hospital room after the... Um, after the explosion. After the explosion, right. Their exchange in the hospital is one of my favorite parts of the show when she sort of comes in and she's interviewing everybody um, that was at the... Uh, nuclear plant that night and when she goes to talk to Dyatlov and you know she she sort of is like pleading with him and saying you know we need to know what happened we need to know the truth about the situation so we can not let this ever happen again and he's like there is no truth (laughs) and of course like that's he's also representing the Soviet Union there right he's 
no interest in truth or truth doesn't exist. You can create your own. Yeah, truth is constructed from above. Yeah. So which truth do you want? Mine or yours? Like whose truth or, or Gorbachev's truth, right? Right. I think it's very interesting that she's a woman and she represents the sort of high moral what's the word, like, ground in this in this series, right? Uh, remember that part when she just begins to understand that, oh, wow, this there has been an, an explosion, and we're, we're seeing that the levels of radiation are so high in Belarus. Um, she goes to the, the leader, the head of the uh, Belarus uh, Communist Party, and she says, what do you know? And he sort of looks, and he's in his chair, and he looks so relaxed, come in, you know? And she comes in, she's very stressed, obviously. Uh, she thinks it's like such an urgent situation. And she's like, we need to go, we need to do something about this. He says, listen, you don't need to, everything is fine. I, I, I spoke to them, everything's under control. And she says, what do you know? You're just a worker. You were making shoes before this. Your position has nothing to do with um, you know, my scientific expertise. And I think that's such an important um, also ideological line in, in the series, right? Where science and objectivity, um, it's only for the educated, whereas yeah. the workers don't understand these sorts of things. Well, I think like, I, yeah. And I think it goes into where the, yeah, this show is situated in the contemporary political moment. I don't really feel like this is a Cold War show. Mm. You know, I don't really think the primary aim is the Soviet Union here. I think the primary target um, is pretty much Donald Trump. Yeah, it's a critique of populism. Mm -hmm. Like this, like populism will lead to government by people who aren't there by their own merits. You know, government by by ordinary workers, not people with expertise. Yeah, you know, like that she has. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting that you'd say that. Because I, I didn't really see it that way. But now that you say that, it sounds interesting to see it as a critique of populism. Mm -hmm. For me, it was more of a critique of the sort of intentionally opaque bureaucracy of the Soviet Union, right? That not just that these accidents can happen and people do everything to cover them up, but they also happen because the system itself is prioritizing its image, the cover-up, whatever, right? But also, um, in terms of the Donald Trump, right, to bring it back to the U.S. context, I also agree with Lena. Like, my first uh, reaction was like, oh, wow, they're really critical of the bureaucratic processes, right, that are so difficult, and some guy at the top decides what, what happens, and then that goes through all kinds of, like, loops. Uh, but um, I think it's also about the threat of, like, what does socialism mean today? Do you want to end up there? Look what happened there. So it's two-sided. I think it's a two for one. Yeah. I, I think also for these, for, you know, the liberal center. Yeah. The liberal middle class center in which HBO is, is playing to. Um, these are two sides of the same coin, you know. Right. Uh, left populism, or whatever that means, is just as, is the same as, as right populism. So it's almost like you... I didn't think see this as a big critique of bureaucracy, though. That's weird. Uh, I think like the way they depicted the Soviet Union was people who are just willing to take liberties with the truth. Um, there is a lot of strongman involved, um, overly political. Like so, they're taking a situation that should not be politicized and 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 are politicizing it, kind of thing. But there were sort of there was. 
I think I can at least I can think of at least like four moments where the sort of anti-Soviet Union element sort of came through in a really explicit way, right? There's a there's a couple scenes where you're when you're watching it, you're kind of like, okay, you know. <laughs> and we were talking about this earlier, but you know, the scene with that the elder on the city's governing council, you know, his little speech about how, you know, we're going to seal the town and we're going to cut off the phone lines and make sure that we don't let disinformation spread because, you know, what was important was how the Soviet Union came across. And we didn't want this disaster to be, you know, reflected back onto the state. For some reason, at least, I highly doubt that that's what people were immediately thinking of in the midst of a nuclear disaster. Not only to mention that that guy doesn't exist in real life. That actually didn't happen, right? He, there was no meeting. And this is what uh, the, some of the criticisms that are coming out of Ukraine in particular that I uh, looked at, that I read online. This is what they're sort of saying, that s s some of these facts just didn't. Yeah, it's like there's a bunch of fake characters. So Zarkov, that strong man that you're talking about that came to the local council and was like, none of this gets out. Right. Doesn't exist. A lot of what um, Legosov, um, he actually did, his, his actions are very much exaggerated, especially around all of his moments in which he's martyring himself in the name of the truth. Many of those moments, like the court scene, there's no really record of that. All of these things didn't really happen. So it's, 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 it's interesting that in order to make this point about uh, truth, they, they, there's so many fictions. It's a fiction. It's based on a true story, right? It's just interesting that in order to make their critique about objectivity, about the truth, about the cost of lies, they have to rely on so many exaggerations of the truth. Well, I mean... Maybe that doesn't Let's really think about, though, even the way it's being portrayed. Because I don't think that um, most people who come across the show think that it is um, sort of a dramatic reenactment of the events. I think a lot of people are watching the show and thinking, okay, this so this is what happened, yeah. right? This is what happened. This is horrible. I can't believe, you know, people let this happen. Kind of what Olina was saying earlier about, you know... Um, human life not not being worth that much and all of this so it's the line is sort of blurred right they are they present they sort of present it as a historical mini documentary yeah it's definitely presented as a doc, as a sort of documentary it's it's interesting because i was speaking to some people who you know scholars russianists slavists you know who study this sort of stuff And who haven't people who haven't watched the document of uh, the the series yet? See, I'm already saying it's a documentary. Mm -hmm. And they said, "Oh, we thought this was a documentary. Oh, that's interesting because it the certain the the fact that people have real names, right? Um, characters have the names of real people that existed, uh, like the scientists, etc. And also at the very end, I was thinking about this today earlier that at the very end. Um, in the in episode five, right when um, when the trial the trials are going on, and we see each person's life after. Oh, what happened to this person? What happened to that person? All these facts. It sort of makes you think. Oh, yeah, this was sort of very very close to the truth, right? I think one of the things I found interesting both about 
like a lot of Legasov and Homyuk's conversations about how to get the information out were really interesting, but they were also always looking at a sort of scientific community that was outside of the Soviet Union, right? That's part of um, Homyuk's project about gathering sort of an account of what took place that the night of the explosion. The purpose was to get it to the scientific community outside of the Soviet Union, right? That's why you get it to the US, then they'll tell the truth to the world, or you get it to this other place and they'll tell the truth to the world. So it was always like this place outside is where the truth is and that's where it needs to that's where we need to send the information. We gotta do whatever we can, right? To get it there. Yeah. And I think um just to that point, it's also interesting, um, one of the other inaccuracies of the show was that the USSR government almost played no role in investigating the disaster. And um, Lagosov and the Belarusian scientists are kind of juxtaposed to the, to, the, to the state in that sense. Like, they don't seem like agents of the USSR. But in reality, the USSR, uh, they investigated it quite quickly, the disaster, more quickly than... The show shows the higher-ups almost not wanting to go there, just trying to, mm-hmm. yeah. just to, to brush it under the rug. Um, but they did figure it out. And actually the scientists played less a role actually figuring out the causes of the disasters, Legosov, et cetera, and more of, uh, they tried to sort of raise public awareness was their, was their major role. Do you remember that scene? I mean, one of the very, what's the word in English? Like very, um, impressive, right? It really impresses upon you the scene where, you know, there's an explosion and all these people come out to watch it and you see like the air is dirty we we see that like and the kids are playing they take out their newborn babies and and i remember i I remember seeing that and being like wow these people are portrayed as really stupid and really ignorant they they are in the city of nuclear scientists right how is it possible that they don't know that that an explosion at a nuclear plant might cause you know certain damage so they take out their newborn children from bed at you know whatever midnight and go outside that just seems crazy yeah and pregnant women like everybody and the dogs and, and they're all watching uh, the explosion at the f- the reactor the spectacle with itself. no sense of like what the danger that would present yeah i think that's very you know, that's actually an insult, right? And, and especially for people who are living there, who's, you know, family members, some of them are definitely working at this plant. They're scientists, right? And, you know, science was very much invested in um, in the USSR. So, of course, it's strange. Yeah. I think, again, though, like, for me, it's not really... There is some critiques of the Soviet Union in there, but for me, it's more a critique of populism is sort of the notion of competing truths, right? Fake news, that sort of thing. Um, A sort of reassertion of a sort of liberal uh, objectivity of the media. You know what I mean? The dangers of like taking liberties with the truth. That's kind of what they're going at. Assuming that the position of um, the producers, the writers, end of the liberal media in the States is inherently objective, Mm. is bias-free, 
right? Mm-hmm. So there, there, it's sort of like a warning against uh, sort of what this trajectory that they see Donald Trump taking the U.S. on, that they see Bernie Sanders representing, that they see also Jeremy Corbyn representing, of like an overly politicized, ironically, vision of like uh, democracy in politics. Mm. Uh, these are the dangers you get to. They're sort of saying when everything is ideology, there's no sort of truth. You're right to point that out and to well, say Well, I'm not that, defending it. No, no, for sure. But I just I'm mean, saying this is bullshit because they, you know, they are, you know, they're not realizing their own ideology. Right. But that's, but that's exactly what ends up sort of happening. Like, I think that unfortunately, when it comes to the Soviet Union in particular, it, it often comes across as like conspiracy theory-esque, right? It's like we're we're looking, we're getting a sort of peek into this system that's like, you know, secrecy and lies. It's just entirely impenetrable. We can't figure out what's going on there, right? And we, you know, we deal with disasters, accidents, tragedies, whatever, very differently. And when I was um, watching some of uh, the scenes that we've been talking about, I was thinking, okay, like, how do we then deal with some of these things, right? And immediately I thought of that um, Ethiopian Airlines crash that recently happened and the sort of very temporary uh, heat that Boeing was under for the faulty sensors on the planes, right? And I mean, in the end, what came out is the truth of that story. It was that um, Boeing, in order to cut corners, save some money, took out some of the safety features from these new planes and made them add-ons or optional, right? And when we found that out, we don't really we don't really associate that with a kind of conspiracy, right? Even though we understand that ultimately people made some choices there to not privilege safety and instead privilege the profits of the company. Right. But people, when we hear those, we hear that news and look, lives were lost. People died and people don't understand it in the same way. We see them as accidents. The questions about what led to that accident don't really extend further than that. We aren't then um, compelled to sort of look into the system itself that creates that kind of quote unquote accident. Well, I think that but I I really don't. Yeah, I don't see this as uh a critique of different sort of political economic systems. I, I, I really see this as a, a doubling down of like liberal ideology and kind of like, if you go back to that scene with the worker, um, the worker mayor, mm-hmm. you know, what is this? This is Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. Is it not? Mm-hmm. Yeah. In a way, like the, the qualified candidate, remember how, how ad nauseum they were on about, Hillary Clinton being the only qualified candidate for the job and Donald Trump being unqualified, sort of bombastic, um, represent, even though he, he's, he's meant to be a representative of the working class, right? But he's the complete opposite, but which he manages to convince even the working class that he is, he is one of them in a sense. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I see the critique of the Soviet Union in, in a sense, but it's almost like one removed. I feel like the immediate target is really the likes of the populist right and also the populist left, which they're equating with the same thing mm. and saying we need truth, meaning we need the liberal truth. You know, we need to going back to pretending that the economist is objective fact. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
Yeah. But I think I think we should also say, though, in that last... Like, I'm surprised Meryl Street and Tom Hanks didn't show up in this. Oh, too bad. She could have <laughs> And the Washington her. Post. You yeah. know, like, we just needed the Washington Post somehow involved. But I think we should say, in the end there, in that last episode in the trial, they do actually make a critique of the economic system, right? Like, in Legasov's sort of last final speech about why something like this could happen, he's pretty explicit. He's like, this happened because this... You know, this country is more interested in cutting corners and, you know, doing things to save them money and not really caring about the sort of quality, not caring about human life. That's why this happened. In the end, his whole speech about why this, uh, you know, nuclear plant could actually have an explosion or experience this explosion is because... They were cutting corners, saving money, that kind of thing. Which is weird to say in a context of like permanent austerity, right? Which is what's going on with like Western governments right now. Right. That's why I just think it's a little difficult to separate out the critiques, right? That even though those yeah, other critiques yeah. are also, they are valid, right? Um, it's just hard to separate separate them because of the baggage that comes with talking about the Soviet Union. Absolutely. And I think you're right. I think both are there. They're not mutually exclusive. Like no, you can Brent, take pot saying, shots. But, yeah. You know, and Lena. But I also think that they portrayed the reality of developed, of late developed socialism, right? Of the 1980s quite well. Like they're to the detail about what women are wearing, what men are wearing, um, like all kinds of material history right they studied it very well and they studied it closely you can tell right except certain things apparently they didn't study like certain facts right and for some reason why are we why are these details so upfront and not the actual scientific stuff right it's like getting to look at what life was like in the soviet union we can see what they wear we can see what was in their homes it reminds me a little bit of that museum in uh berlin the yeah uh, <laughs> I can't remember the name of it right now, but you can go in and sort of be in a room that's like constructed to look like what East Germany looked like at the time. It's really, I, maybe that says something about us though, right? And about the audience, like that's what they were focused on. It was very much the aesthetics of the yes. miniseries and people loved that. It was aesthetically pleasing, you know, these beautiful shots all of that. And that's yeah. like the focus more than the actual details of the story. I should say, I actually did like this show. <laughs> yeah. And did you notice again to, to go like to continue on this material history stuff, right? Did you notice how the apartment of Legasov in Moscow looks kind of shabby, like kind of shitty, right? In, in the sense, because like a big scientist in the West would have a nice place. Even in comparison to some of the workers, right? Like the firefighters. Yeah, the wife. firefighters. It seems like their apartments are actually nicer. If you if you like go back and look mm. at these, right? Mm. Um, and and again, it's this it's this trope that you know everyone was equal, and and the firefighter is the same as a scientist, and they make the same amount of money, and they get the same life. Sometimes workers get better, right? So these scientists are not valued, and value is is only understood in these material yeah they're not things. listened to they're not valued yeah. yeah it's yeah i agree and and another thing is uh what about the that whole um scene and that's a beautiful scene with miners um yeah. right and and these sort when of state up, yeah state apparatchiks but even uh before right when there are two men i think come and they're asking these miners to like 
uh, help, right? And I feel like that's really, the, the series is trying to reflect this betrayal of workers. See the state that is supposed to represent the working people has betrayed them and is using them now to cover their ass. You and know, putting them in, in, in danger. In danger yeah. yeah, and this one magazine online magazine, Ukrainian one, uh, has published a few testimonies uh, by the liquidators. And one of them is a, was a miner. And he said, you know, we were never paid. We were never promised a higher pay. Actually, that's not true. That's invented, right? That's mm. fabricated. We, 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 we volunteered. Sometimes we forced our way in to going mm. to uh, Chernobyl to help out. Yeah, it's interesting also how the uh, the state is portrayed in this. Um, like you guys said, there is this sort of critique of bureaucracy gone mad of the Soviet critique, but also like if you put it maybe in that populist framework, it's like how it's kind of talking about the importance of like almost what of like civil society of expert culture outside of the state kind of mm -hmm. thing, and that in a true liberal fashion, it's like these can't really be in the state, right? You can't have real experts caught up in the politics of the state, at least in the, in the parts that matter. They need autonomy, they need to be separate, etc. And I, I find that kind of interesting because it's also saying like this, you know, uh, beyond what it's saying about truth and stuff like that, it's saying that the state is also incapable of performing all these expert functions mm -hmm. uh, and roles uh, that it does, right? Yeah, it does very that well. it does. So maybe we can talk about our takeaways, some of the things that we, um, you know, liked overall or in general, or just our general impression of the show in the end. Yes. What do you guys think? Yes, that sounds good. Well, okay, so I guess I should begin with it's um, the question of uh, political convenience versus historical truth. Are they ever separated? Number one, we should think about those. That like, what right? do you mean by that? Well, is political convenience both with Chernobyl, but also how it's presented to us? There's political political convenience to that. How is that separated from historical truth? Are they ever right? Mm. It's always it's historical truth always told with always caught up in this yes. ideology. See, a part of me wants to to resist that as well. I I, I do believe in in the truth, you know, uh, that there is a truth. I don't I don't I find like if we just relapse into warring ideologies, you know, I find that I've always found that kind of hopeless. Then and you might as well just pick your truth and go with it. That's what uh, that's what he suggested, right? <laughs> Dyatlov. Did, is and that what he says, said? Well, kind well, of. He, he said there is yeah. no truth. Yeah, so what bothers me about this show? Is, yeah, what bothers me about this critique? It's that liberal centralism is, is not introspective enough of its own ideological underpinnings. It assumes an objectivity without relentlessly critiquing its own assumptions and underpinnings. Right, right? yes, exactly. Objectivity has to be consistently earned. It assumes that there's a point outside right? That one can do critique from. Yeah. And that you can look into the world or some place and make, uh, you know, observations about it from being outside as if we aren't all wrapped up in these things. Right? And that's why this show is so perfect because it relies on untruths to make its point about objectivity. I think that there, we can talk about a lot of these different things. I think it's all interesting, but I wonder if 
what will end up happening is that this show will become the sort of dominant narrative about Chernobyl. What took place in Chernobyl, if you want to know, if you want to understand, here's this mini-series, watch it, and then you'll get that. There's so many things that we can say. There's, there's many elements that I really like, but I just wonder if it will become the dominant narrative, right? So it's not really so much um, the critique of ideology that we might hope for. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Oats for Breakfast. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. I did like the show. I really liked it. Yeah, it was a good show. show. And it has to dramatize. Dramatize? I don't know if that's the word. It has to, you know what I mean. It has to fluff things up a little bit. It's good television if you take it with a grain of salt. Yeah, everything is Yeah, liberal. it's good entertainment. Yeah, you just have to get over it. And that. we forgot about yeah. all the dogs and cats that were shot. Oh my God, and oh, the cow that, that was shot. Yes. The grandma milking the cow and then the cow is shot. Wow. The whole, uh, you know, yeah. needing to go around and kill everybody's pets because they were exposed to radiation. That, was, was, why? Uh, but why? the role, the, I mean. It was they interesting. Would, they spent a whole episode yeah. on it. Yeah. They would take this radiation elsewhere, right? This is why they had to shoot them. Apparently there's a lot of stray dogs in Chernobyl right now. There's only 690 people. And... 890 dogs yeah and horses and, <laughs> and, and bears and like the animals have like taken it over i think we should go to chernobyl guys i think so we'll see you there